Um, awesome. Okay, so welcome, Megan. It has been a very long time coming. Um, yeah. I'm so excited to have you on, so thank you for your time. Um, yeah, thanks so much. Of course. Tell me a little about yourself and where you stand. Um, the overarching theme of this episode is woman and feminism and where we are in this wild world. Um, well, first I just want to apologize because I have a cold. I was just in San Francisco for five days and I feel like every time I get on a plane, I get a cold. So I'm a bit congested, um, and have a little bit of a cough. So I apologize if I like start choking mid conversation. Um, but I, yeah, so I've been running a feminist website called feminist current for almost 10 years now, um, since 2012. And um, I got involved in the fight for women's sex-based rights and the fight against gender identity legislation back in around 2016. And, um, I mean, I was, I was always pretty controversial, but, um, mostly controversial within Canada, a little bit within the U S but when I got involved in the, the gender identity debate, things became very controversial <laughs> or I became very controversial. And, you know, whereas before then I had been able to at least publish in some mainstream media outlets in Canada, um, I really got, got blackballed after this. There were all sorts of, you know, petitions against me. I was protested by hundreds of people. I was Why? vilified. Well, I mean, I was accused of transphobia, transphobia essentially. Um, and, you know, everyone who, who who said that I was, like, a hateful bigot or that I was um, guilty of hate speech, um, that I was endangering trans women. I mean, it, it was clear to me that none of them had ever actually listened to my arguments um, or read my work and what I was actually saying with regard to women's rights and my concerns. Um, but I don't, I think that's normal. I don't think that they really want to listen or to engage. I think that anybody who challenges this ideology is vilified. And so I was essentially the first person in Canada, the first woman in any case to be vilified as a transphobe, um, because I went to the Senate when they were, um, when the Liberal Party of Canada was working to pass our gender identity legislation, Bill C-16. So I went and testified against that legislation. Um, Do we have something like that in the U.S.? Mm, no, not that I'm aware of. It seems to me that, well, I mean, so Biden passed the Equality Act when he was elected, where he, he, um, I, he passed legislation that ensured that males could compete against females in sports, which he committed to doing. But it's not it's not the same. Our legislation in Canada incorporated gender identity and gender expression into the criminal code and the human rights code. So it said, you know, you can't discriminate against people based on gender identity or gender expression, which would be fine, you know, like, I don't want anybody to be discriminated against based on how they, you know, choose to dress or behave or um, based on their appearance. 
Um, unless, of course, how their behavior is, is harmful to somebody else. But the problem with gender identity is that the, the concept in and of itself trumps women's rights. Like you can't have both gender identity and sex because either you're a woman because you're female and that's your biological sex and you're a man because you're male and that's your biological sex or you're just whatever you identify as. So a man could identify as a woman and that would make him legally female. In Canada. Um, Yeah, in Canada. Um, Well, and anywhere that sort of goes along with this ideology and legislation, and that's what the ideology pushes. And there's lots of places where they've sort of started um, adopting policy, regardless of the actual law, that essentially says, you know, any man who identifies as a woman has the right to access this transition house, this shelter, this change room, this washroom, to play sports against women. Etc. Etc. I mean, what it will come down to in terms of the law really will be court cases. Um, even the law in Canada was very vague. Like Bill C-16 didn't literally say men can be female if they say so, but that's been the effect. Um, that's been what's happened from province to province is that men who identify as women have been treated as legally female. And, um, you know, I think that we're going to be dealing with a lot of court cases that will actually determine whether or not that flies because, you know, hopefully parents will challenge um, this, these policies that allow boys to access girls change rooms and boys to compete against girls in sports. Um, And, you know, there, you know, there might be women who would challenge allowing males to be transferred to female prisons, for example, like I know there's a lot of female inmates or ex female inmates who are protesting um, and trying to challenge, challenge that practice. But yeah, it's, 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 um, it's really widespread. And it's, the laws are still unclear. um, But in practice, you know, that, that is how we're behaving as though identity trumps biological sex and certainly that it trumps women and girls' rights. It's such an interesting thing to talk about with you specifically because this is your specialty, more or less, and you are so calm about it. And when I even think about it, it makes me fucking furious. Like, I literally, I'm so, like... I have to contain my composure because I'm so angry and like annoyed and baffled and I just can't wrap my head around it. And I don't know if it's because I have a daughter or because I've been in sports my whole life and clearly men and women are different. And I think that it's so frustrating because I'm in New York City and I have had the opportunity to work with some serious like very renowned professional athletes, like women specifically. And because I've been in fitness for a long time. And I actually reached out to one who is one of the top like leaders in her sport. And she has a a huge following. And I asked her, hey, would you do you know of anyone who would be open or comfortable talking with me on my podcast about um, this whole trans movement and, you know, men, trans women competing with biological woman. And she was like, honestly, it's something I can't get into. I, it will affect my brand. And I don't want, like, I just can't. And I, I get it. I respect it. But the problem is, is it's a problem. Like no one wants to talk about it. And I have reached out to 
numerous trans men, trans women, like with a, um, with a successful transition, with a de- un- unsuccessful transition, who's had to detransition, and no one wants to talk about it. There's one um, girl, she was born a boy, and then she is now an all-girl, all-female, and she, I had her on my podcast. She has a successful story, a successful transition. And we did the episode, I released it, and it was a really, really, I think, great success because she explained the whole thing. Like she had the sex change. She, like, if you saw her, you would think she's a woman. Like you, it, you might question it, but some women you see, like girls that I train with, you see them and you're like, wow, they're really muscly. Maybe they're boys, who knows? But anyhow, she asked me to take it down because she got so many hate comments and hate so much hate mail saying that it didn't um, properly represent the majority of transitioners because she had a successful de- a successful transition and most people don't. So with that, mm-hmm. I'm like, why is it so hard to find someone who wants to talk about it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's amazing how controversial this topic really is. And, you know, I, I've been, like I said, I've been protested, you know, when I, I spoke in Toronto at the Toronto public library in 2019, and it was protested by like 700 people. And what I said was just to me, so uncontroversial, you know, when I talk about this, I don't feel like, I'm saying anything crazy. I feel like I'm just kind of stating the obvious. And some of those obvious things might sound rude or offensive, but just because something feels rude or might be offensive to, to, to some individuals doesn't mean that it's not true or that we shouldn't talk about it or that you know you shouldn't say it out loud. But the, the propaganda and the trans activist campaign to say, you know, trans women are women and anybody who says any different is a horrible, hateful bigot has been so successful. You know, they've really, they've got the media in their clutches and they have our, you know, progressive, liberal, Democrats, you know, they have those politicians in their clutches as well. Um, you know, it's it's amazing to me that these, these politicians will stand up and, publicly pretend as though a male is a female and and you know just totally get rid of women's sex-based rights like rights that that women fought for for a really long time you know title nine for example and that they just they have the nerve to do this because of the activism and pressure that's actually coming from a really small minority of people you know most people in the world don't literally believe that trans women are women. I mean, most people in the world probably aren't thinking about this issue very much. They probably have their own problems to worry about. They don't really care about your pronouns. <laughs> but like, you know, most people understand that males and females are different and that that's an uncontroversial thing to say and that it's not appropriate for males to have access to women and girls' change rooms and that it's not appropriate to have naked women in like women and girls only spaces and that it's dangerous to transfer male inmates into female prisons. And yet the mainstream dominant narrative tells us the opposite. It's really like a, it's so confusing because everything is just so backwards. And I think that with that, it really makes you wonder, 
well, what can we women, or I mean, I don't know, like even when I talk to my husband about this, just to hear, like to hear myself talk about it out loud because no one wants to talk about it. So I ask him and he's like, honestly, he's like, I don't want to hear about it. It's so stupid. It doesn't even like, it's not even, he thinks it's not worth his time. And it's yeah. true. It's not, but it is because it's a real issue. It is a real thing that's happening and it's not okay. And I truly have no idea. Like you're right. People who have real like jobs that are all consuming where they can't just sit and do research all day and see where they can find, you know, real proper, correct, accurate information. Like they don't have time for this, but where do you even start? Yeah, I know. I feel really frustrated by that kind of response too, because I think a lot of people will be like, Oh, well this, like, this is stupid. Like, why are you worrying about this? Like, obviously this man isn't a woman or like, why are you getting so stressed out about it? Um, but like, or people will be like, Oh, well, why don't you just call them the pronoun that they want to be called? Like, who cares? How does this affect you? And it does, it does affect us. It does affect all women and girls because it sets a precedent and it reinforces that idea that if you, call a male he despite him identifying as a woman or wanting to be called she that you are being hateful you know i they're they're the liberal government is working on um pushing through bills in canada that i think will essentially result in you know things that i say challenges to gender identity ideology me referring to males as he even if they identify as trans women will make that illegal to do online they're passing you know online hate speech legislation and you know like i you know this this is something else that people kind of are like oh whatever who cares stop whining about this but you know i was banned from twitter for life for referring to a man as he um, and this was like a male predator. Um, this was somebody who was a grifter. This was somebody who was trying to take immigrant female aestheticians working out of their homes through to drag them through the human rights tribunal, you know, to sue them for refusing to give him a Brazilian bikini wax. So you know, disgusting. like it's just it's crazy. And um you know, it, it silences women. It makes it difficult for us to challenge these ideas and talk about these ideas and to speak the truth out loud. And that is a really big deal. And of course, there's being there's legislation that's being passed around the world that are allowing males to identify legally as female. And that is dangerous to women. And it does nullify women's sex-based rights. And it is a really big deal. Like on an individual to individual level, you could be like, oh, well, of course that dude's not a woman. Just let him live how he wants to live. And that would be fine with me if we weren't, you know, Impinging changing rights. policies and legislations and teaching kids that, you know, maybe if a boy wears a dress and really likes playing with girl toys, he's been born in the wrong body and he's actually a girl and we have to give him hormones and maybe he has to get surgery. Like, this is really dangerous stuff, actually. I think that it's such a... Um... I can't wrap my head around it, but I, it's like, it almost seems like a lot of the things on social media that happen are, which this is even more disgusting and a whole nother issue. It's the parents or the mom for that matter, trying to go Insta famous 
Like, so for example, I saw this mom the other day, I saw this viral that went video, a little boy who was, and he had like makeup on and a dress on, and he was clearly a little boy. And she says, how old are you? And he says, I'm nine. And she says, no, you're not, you're seven. And he says, yes, I'm nine. And like, then she says, and what else are you? And he says, I'm a girl. And she says, yep, you're a girl. And it's like, so he can't, he can lie about his age, but he can't lie about his gender. Like, do you think he knows? Like, like, and it's like, it's the two totally, completely contradictory things. And you're like, lady, are you like this like, poor are boy? You paying attention here? Like, what's happening? Like, he's lying about his age, so you, you don't identify think? out of your age, but you can identify into a different sex. And that makes you think that, that like, he, he knows? knows better than you do, or he knows better than whatever biology and nature. It's insane. And science. It's yeah. absolutely insane. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because I heard this, and I don't know if it's true. Does Canada, is Canada have freedom of speech or no? No, our freedom of speech isn't protected under the law in the same way that it is in the U.S. So how does it work? I mean, because with virtual, you know, social media and uh, this virtual world that people live in, it's, uh, if you... I guess reside in Canada, then then you have to abide by their laws, even though it's a virtual world. Or yeah, I mean, I'm not sure exactly how they'll enforce it, but in terms of the online hate speech legislation that they're trying to push through, it would be that they would essentially be holding the platform accountable. So if I published a video on YouTube that, according to the Canadian government, um constituted hate speech then they could demand that youtube take the video down um and so that would be applicable to other social media platforms um but yeah i mean how that'll play out exactly remains to be seen of course but that's essentially what they're trying to to do and you know surely they would determine that um misgendering constitutes hate speech especially now that they've incorporated you know, gender identity and gender identity or gender expression into the criminal code and the, the human rights code. I just cannot with it. Like, I really can't. I don't get it. Like, I get it, but I don't get it. I know. Well, it's sort of like, I mean, I don't know how, like how we got so far down this path. It's almost like we can't go back now. You know, I think that a lot more people are pushing back now, which I appreciate, you know, a lot more people are speaking out about this issue, especially since we've started to see males competing against females and like winning championships and it's like disgusting. There, did you see this swimmer that just happened at U of Penn? Yeah. This yeah. Boy. So people are looking at that and being like, you know, this is insane. Like enough is enough. And like he just squashed all the records, just poop, swept them. Like clearly yeah. men and women are different. We are different. Why is it so hard to accept? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think the, that the politicians and the mainstream media and, you know, I think they're just, I guess they're too scared. They're too scared of, I mean, being fired or losing their jobs or losing their status or whatever. They're too scared of being attacked. And 
Uh, and they probably just don't care that much. They're like, whatever, I would rather protect myself than protect women and girls, essentially, you know, like, it's, it's really very selfish, I think, when people go along with this. Um, some people go along because they don't know any better, you know, they think, well, I don't know, maybe a man, maybe he really was born in the wrong body. And maybe they just honestly aren't very intelligent and can't really think that concept through. And I think a lot of people just selfishly don't want to deal mm -hmm with the controversy and they don't want to be attacked and they don't want to be vilified and they don't want to be threatened and they don't want to be ostracized. I think that it's um, going back to doing research and having to dig in and do it and this and that. And like when I talk with, you know, girlfriends or guy friends, family, whoever, when I speak with people about this, they know nothing. Like they don't know that girls can literally go to these clinics and just get these sh these testosterone shots like they don't know that they're allowed to just do that even without their parents consent and it's like when this happens my dog hears the dog in the background <laughs> oh god yeah sorry it's always it's, it's super okay. i always try to not schedule stuff in the afternoon because it's super it's loud. Okay. there's either like construction or like there's like roosters and dogs barking it's okay he, he, he hears it so he's like on the prom. Okay. Um, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's just funny. Um, no, but it's crazy because it's, it is hard to find information. And it's like now that maybe it's coming out a little bit. And with these whole scandals with the Cuomo's gone and out of, out of the picture here, hopefully in the city with like the one Cuomo that was fired from CNN and he's all over the face and the other Cuomo that, you know, resigned from being in government. Like I'm hoping that things start to like even out a little bit. Um, but anyhow, where I was going with that was like, there's these clinics, the gender clinics where you can go and get these shots, the testosterone, whatever it is, and they don't need their parents consent. And it's a real thing. And it's yeah. like puberty blockers, hormone blockers. They have irreversible damage and people have no idea about it. Like puberty is yeah. a weird time for everyone. Well, they're told, they're told that they're reversible and that they don't cause long-term damage. You know, they're told by, you know, these activists and even by, you know, some scientists and doctors and surgeons and big pharma, you know, people who, who have skin in the game, people who stand to profit from transitioning kids that, and you know, all these, LGBTQ advocates who work for charities and NGOs and so on and so forth, like, oh, it's harmless, it's harmless, it's harmless. And it's not harmless. It's it's very harmful to kids to stop them from going through puberty. And it will impact them for life to put them on puberty blockers and hormones. And, you know, it, the, the, the policy in schools now in North America, in Canada and America, is that they can start you know socially transitioning a kid without their parents consent without telling their parents that at school they've decided to refer to this boy as she and use his girl name um and and that's really dangerous because research shows that once you put a kid down this path once you start socially transitioning them and then once they go on puberty blockers that they do follow through and go on these cross-sex hormones and then go on to get surgeries and you know we're starting to hear about all these girls 
who've gone through this process, you know, they believed that they're a, a trans boy or actually a boy and gone on testosterone and gotten mastectomies and then realize, and it all happens so, so fast. They're fast tracked through this process. So, you know, maybe they'll start the process at 15 and a year or two later, they'll realize, oh no, I'm not a boy. I'm just a girl who's maybe like a tomboy or a lesbian or kind of masculine, or I just didn't feel like I fit in my skin or I was feeling uncomfortable being sexually harassed or whatever it is. And they've destroyed their bodies for life. It's so scary. It's really such a, like, I just, I can't wrap my head around it for a lot of reasons, but for one, like me, for example, growing up, I grew up with all boys. So I have an older brother. I was always dressed like a boy. Even if you saw photos of me as a kid, you would think I was probably like a little boy. Like you would be like, oh, maybe she's a boy. I don't know. So, and with social media and all the pressures of everything just pushed, it really, it's so sad and scary because it's like they want people to go there. What, like it just does, it's like that's the agenda. And it's disgusting to see that this is where it's at. Like I just, I don't know. I wish, what is there to do aside from talking about it and speaking up and sharing information? And yeah, I mean, I think that talking to our local political representatives is important. You know, I always tell people in Canada to call their MPs instead of a meeting with their MPs. I mean, these people are supposed to work for us. They're supposed to represent us. And I've been ignored when I've tried to speak with MPs about these issues. But I think that for people who, you know, don't have a big platform or don't want to talk about this online, which is fair enough. And, you know, just talking, talking about this online might be useful in some ways. But in terms of actually accomplishing something beyond arguing with people on the internet, I mean, trying to find politicians that maybe you can convince and can understand um, your concerns and might be able to speak to other other politicians who have who have sway and to get them to challenge these bills that are being passed um, you know for example in Canada there's a bill that will be working its way through the system right now they're they're debating it um, and it's called a conversion therapy bill so it would um, criminalize therapists who tried to convert, you know, gay and lesbian people into straight people, but they've also added in this gender identity thing. So it would criminalize essentially mm -hmm. therapists in Canada who, you know, maybe challenge uh, a teenager's declaration that they're you know she's a girl isn't that their job a boy that's their yeah. job to question and to try, yeah and to say oh you know like to figure out what's actually going on um and, so they're you know, not where they got these ideas that? from and you know there's they're supposed to just accept it and go along with and like help them to transition otherwise you know they they could be charged if this bill is passed so these kinds of things are coming up now um, and again, it's, it's silencing, um, but, it, you know, but it's also, it's really dangerous for these kids who are going to have nowhere to go and no, 
adult to say like, no, you're not a boy, you're just who you are and that's okay. And maybe work to feel more comfortable with your body or understand that just because you're a girl, you don't have to like feminine things or you don't have to like act girly, like that's good. Like you should be challenging and questioning these ideas. You know, but I was a tomboy when I was a kid too. Like I hated wearing dresses, like I hated ballet class. Like I wanted to have short hair and I wanted to play with the boys. And I didn't like girly things and I didn't like pink. Um, and it would have never occurred to me that I'm not a girl, I'm actually a boy. I just like, I knew that I just didn't like girly things and mm -hmm. I wanted to be like Pippi Longstocking and Punky Brewster. <laughs> I didn't actually literally want to be a boy. I think that that's why it's such, I mean, obviously it's a generational thing, right? So this generation, they're being fed this narrative. And now as an adult, I, I, we see all this, all these shenanigans that are happening in the world. And we, like my husband and I, and you know, my siblings and I, we talk about it and we think like, were these things happening when we were kids also, but we were kids and we didn't know. And now that we're adults, we're more aware of what's happening. Has this always been happening? I don't think so. I mean, I grew up in the nineties, well, the eighties yeah. and the nineties, you know, I was born in 79 and <clears throat> I'd never even this, this concept of transgenderism, like, I don't think we ever heard about anything like that. I mean, I guess there was like drag queens, but nobody literally thought that drag queens were actually women. Um, that was just a performance, right? And, you know, I guess there was like transsexuals here and there, and they just seemed sort of like weird weird men who like to dress in women's clothing and like a lot of these adult this is something that i say all the time but it's considered offensive like most adult but there's there's research to show this but like you know most adult men who transition or decide that they want to identify as trans women have like a cross-dressing fetish mm -hmm. it's called autogynophilia um and so they're know, not actually trans they just want to wear women's clothes well, I mean, I don't even know what actually trans is, you know, like, I don't really buy the concept of transgenderism in and of itself, but it's, but, you know, it's not that they have body dysmorphia, where they're like, they're, you know, literally, I literally believe that, like, I'm actually female, and this is all wrong. Um, it's that they're turned on by the idea of themselves as women. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, the, the idea that like, I mean, there was the idea of transsexualism and trans transitioning, but it certainly wasn't as mainstream as it is now. And it wasn't this thing where it was like, you're literally the opposite sex. It was just like, okay, well dress, you can dress in this way and you can change your body parts, I guess, or you could try. I mean, all these surgeries too, they're still experimental. Nobody talks about like the fact that they're just experimenting on people's bodies. Like most of these surgeries are unsuccessful. You have to do many, 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 you have to like do a lot of these surgeries. A lot of times, you know, it messes up your body and you're like, oh, I just destroyed my ability to orgasm for life, you know, and these surgeons are predatorial, I think, and they're liars. And I think they're doing a real disservice to trans people, um, especially kids, but adults as well. You know, these, some of these people end up really mangled and have really serious 
problems that they have to contend with for the rest of their lives because of what these surgeons do to them because they tell them oh yeah i can make you into a woman i can make you into a man and you can't um you can sort of do your best to try to make this person appear as the opposite sex but you can't literally give a man a vagina not a functional vagina that's not a vagina you can't literally give a woman a penis it's not a penis that's something else and it doesn't really work very well <laughs> yeah no i want because i did talk about it with the one trans woman that i had on and she had the transitions she has a vagina i don't think it worked i mean i don't know but how could it how could you make a penis work from like do have you talked to someone about this do you know did you I mean, I know you yeah, interview doctors and stuff. About it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really work. Um, Where do they even of, take it from? What do they use? I th it's really, it's a really disgusting process, actually. But they, I think they take skin off of their forearm and they sort of, like, they roll it up sort of into this skin roll thing that they then graft onto the genital area well if you have a vagina how do you even put a penis there i mean you would you put you put it above the vagina so it's also sort of in the it ends up being in the wrong place and then i think you can you're better off just putting a sock there. contraption where you can sort of fake an erection or there's like a pump system i don't know but it's all really kind of it's all really it's a gross painful process that in the end often really doesn't work well and there's often complications and a lot of infections and all that kind of thing so i mean i just i feel bad for people who go through this process and think that they're going to come out the other end and be like yes finally i have this vagina i have this penis and they're like oh no that's not what i have i just have this weird mangled body now well, and, I think you know a lot of them can't experience sexual pleasure anymore like of any sort yeah. Well, and I think that's also why it's so confusing because if some, if on one side it's Ill illegal or you can be banned from saying, you know, it's not good, it's harmful, you shouldn't do it. Why is it allowed that these doc, why are these doctors allowed to do that? Like how, how, how whose narrative does that go with? Well, I mean, I think until somebody sues then they will be able to continue to do this and that's what i mean when i say like i think it's going to depend on court cases that come up because you know it's already there have been cases in the uk where um you know trans detransitioners have sued the people that encouraged and supported and allowed them to transition without warning them um, and by fast tracking them through the process, Kira Bell. Um, and I suspect that the same thing will, will happen in other countries as well. Um, I suspect that at a certain point, you know, adults who were transitioned will start suing the doctors and surgeons that did that to them and, and lied to them about um, how effective that would be and that, you know, they would be happy once they did all this stuff to themselves and this would be the thing that made them feel finally comfortable with their bodies and fulfilled and like the real them, you know, the real me. It's so sad. It is sad. Yeah. Um, your 
original trade is a journalist? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been doing, I, I started out in, in radio um, oh. and doing like co-op radio, like independent radio. Um, I was doing feminist radio show, feminist radio from like, you know, at least 2009. Um, and then started, you know, podcasting <laughs> and started writing, started blogging about feminism um and worked for a canadian um progressive news site for for several years at least several years as an editor and you know as the as working with podcasters um and i went to journalism school actually so i did a I did a ba and a master's degree in women's studies which while i was while i was completing those degrees turned into the gender, sexuality, and women's mm -hmm. studies department, of course, as they did across the board in around 2010. Um, and while I was completing my master's degree, I started a journalism degree um, it, it, at UBC. And I actually dropped out. I didn't finish that degree just because I started working, essentially. You know, I was doing that degree because I was figuring, trying to figure out how to break into journalism. and. Um, I did start working and, you know, pitching and publishing and I got too busy to finish the degree, but I also just couldn't afford to go into any more debt. And I was like, well, I'm working already. This is the whole goal. So I didn't actually finish that degree, but I did go to journalism school. <laughs> when, a journalism school uh, dropout. <laughs> well, when the, so as a journalist, when these platforms are so one-sided, what do you, how do you navigate and how do you like where do you go to like because you have this to be is independent your... yeah right I mean, it's really hard if unless you're independent to actually get anywhere with this stuff i know some journalists in the uk have been able to manage the uk has been much better on this debate in terms of covering it fairly in terms of you know allowing journalists and reporters to report on what's actually going on without having to inject a bunch of ideological bias into their reporting. Um, you know, Helen Joyce is one of those, those journalists who worked for The Economist for many years. I think she's still an editor at The Economist, but she just published a book called, I think it's called Trans. Um, and, um, but in Canada, no, you absolutely have to cover these these issues in a completely biased way or you won't be able to work so the only option and in america it's almost the same thing the only option is to be independent so i'm actually really grateful that i was sort of i mean i i sort of chose to be independent but i sort of chose it accidentally just because i was never really able to publish what i wanted to publish in the mainstream media in Canada, because I always had views that didn't fit the correct narrative. <laughs> it's so weird. It's like common sense stuff, though. You would think. Mm -hmm. I. It's just so. I just can't wrap my head around it. I. I just. I. I understand why people in general don't or don't want to speak up. They don't. You know, they don't want to argue. They don't want to create an issue. They don't want to have whatever. But I think that that's why it's has been able to escalate the way it has because of that. Like in middle schools, high schools and colleges now, you know, these men or trans women, whatever you want to call them are literally just taking over 
think like women things. Yeah, I mean, the people who have stayed silent, like it's difficult for me not to feel resentful towards those people because it does make it seem as though those who do speak up are marginal and that we are just a bunch of big meanies. Um, and, you know, because I'm sure this happens to you, but a lot of people will, you know, say things to me privately that they won't say to their friends, that what they won't say publicly, that they won't even say to their family members. And, you know, and again, you know, a lot more people have started to speak out about this now. And I mean, in some ways I feel resentful towards those people too, when it's like, you know, big name celebrities who are all of a sudden challenging this stuff and it's like, well, you could have said something when I was being threatened and harassed and banned all over the place. Like, now oh, where that it's have you been? Sort of easier to talk about it. Now you start speaking up. I'm like, okay, but it you makes know, you it is, it like, is what good. Clicks? And it's also too, sort of too late now. Like, I feel angry because it's like I was trying to challenge and and raise the alarm about this legislation and this bill when it was being passed and nobody would say anything. So I was sort of one of the only ones that did. And then of course it passed and now it's too late. Like we do still need to fight it in Canada, but this it's really hard to undo laws once they've been passed. Like you really need to be on this before the actual bill passes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I'm very frustrated at Canadians who just passively let this happen and didn't say anything and, and let the narrative be oh there's just like a couple you know hateful bigots and you know they try to pretend like it's just right versus left although at the time i was like identifying as a feminist and a socialist like i don't identify as a socialist anymore but like you know i was really of the left like i almost you know my entire life until maybe two or three years ago i was on the far left, you know, like I supported our, our leftist party or, you know, it's, it's similar to the Labour Party, the NDP, um, for almost in my entire adult life, you know, I identified as like a Marxist when I was in high school and then, you know, a socialist for most of my adult life. And I fought alongside the left for leftist policies in Canada. And you know, it, they just, they tried to create this narrative, like it's only these religious, right, Christian bigots. And they just, you know, they just completely ignored me. They completely ignored everything when I was, that I was saying. They wouldn't interview me, even when, you know, I was being protested in Canada. Um, the first ever talk that we did in Vancouver at the Vancouver Public Library was extremely controversial. A bunch of activists tried to bully the library into, um, canceling our booking and the library tried to cancel our booking but we got our lawyers involved so they couldn't um but the media refused to cover the event um and the cbc which is our our public broadcaster is right across the street from the library they just refused to acknowledge that you know women could have concerns, feminists could have concerns, leftists could have concerns, just that any any normal rational person might have concerns. Like the narrative had to be, these are hateful bigots and anybody who is like a kind, progressive, open-minded person who cares about people's well-being has to support this ideology. It's so confusing also, because I think that as just a female, like we are two white looking females. 
which means we're bad. And yeah. that's like, where does that even come from? Like, how and where? It's like if you're, <laughs> yeah, no, if you're, if you're not, if you don't look a certain way, like even for example, I had this crazy, so I, I wore like a headscarf and I'm Jewish. Like I grew up with an Orthodox family, like Jewish. And if yeah. I wore a headscarf recently and we were at a concert and I had a couple girls, black girls, you can't wear that. Why can't I wear this <laughs> headscarf? Because it's, it's our culture what you're seriously gonna tell me i can't wear a headscarf Please. like well it's like they just don't they don't even have any idea what they're talking about yeah. it's like well it's my culture too <laughs> yeah like maybe not be so ignorant and know that there's more than one culture that wears headscarves or it's just a fashion thing and who cares? Like, who is cares? It... Like, what a stupid thing to get up in arms about with everything that's going on in the world and loss of rights and freedoms and free speech. And, and it's like, instead of that, yeah, maybe so join with want. other women instead of just trying to fight with them. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's such petty quibbles and, and they're made out to be these monumental issues. And that's, you know, been going on in North America for some time now to the point where feminism has turned into just such a joke. Like, it's like, no wonder the right makes fun of feminists all the time. You all act ridiculous. The things that you concern yourself with are marginal and the things that you ignore are monumental. And you don't talk about things that are happening in other cultures that are super violent and misogynist. Like you, so many feminists in, in North America refuse to even challenge prostitution or pornography or the sex trade. Um, and you want to argue about, you know, microaggressions and um, hyper-focus on race to the point where, you know, you as a feminist somehow think it's appropriate to dismiss women as as white feminists or too privileged to speak about women's rights it's totally backwards and meanwhile you're allowing women's sex-based rights to be taken away very very quickly and refusing to say anything i wonder how how it how or what sort of route or where because these are all things that are valid like they're all so valid and so under discussed. And I don't understand, like, why does anyone talk about this? I mean, I think that a lot of these, a lot of the women with prominent voices in feminism in the US and in Canada are actually, I mean, ironically, because you know, this goes against their narrative of like dismissing people over privilege are actually very privileged women. You know, they're university educated women, they're middle class or upper class. They haven't had much real life experience out in the real world. They don't really understand or know about what's happening to actual marginalized women. You know, they, they probably don't know women who were prostituted on the downtown east side when they were 13 years old. They just know their friends on the internet who have OnlyFans accounts. Um, and you know, they're taught and they're taught these narratives in university, um, and nobody challenges them on it because all of their friends are also just like them. They don't expose themselves to differing viewpoints or a diversity of people. They just, they say things like diversity on the internet. 
they say things like intersectional over and over and over again on Twitter, but that doesn't really seem to have any, any meaning to them. Um, and, and these, these are people who have access to platforms and the time to spend online building platforms and going around and bullying other people who, who challenge their preferred narrative. Yeah. It's so sad when you like break it down. It's so simple. And it's just so, so sad. Yeah, it is sad. I find it quite depressing because I mean, you just wonder, you're like, why would, why would women of all people, <laughs> why would women go along with this? You know, like I even, you know, a lot of people say like, oh, like this is just men pushing this through, but women are pushing this through as well. You know, that, that, that bill in Canada was introduced by a woman. Jody Wilson-Raybould, um, and it was supported by men in the Liberal Party and in the NDP, but it was also supported by a lot of women. And you're just like, why do you not see this? Um, and I think that part of the problem is that young women especially aren't educated in the history of the women's movement. So they don't really know what women went through during the first and second wave and why these rights matter at all. I don't think they really understand what sex-based rights are and, and why why this is important. Um, I think they're so privileged that they think that they can't lose their rights, like that they can't imagine that anything, they're like, well, I'm fine, so whatever. And it's like, well, you could not be fine, but also maybe it's not just about you. And, you know, maybe this is about other women and what will happen in the future. Um, so... Yeah, and I mean, I remember this from women's studies. Like, we really didn't get much women's history. We got a lot of theory and we got a lot of ideology. Um, we we didn't get an accurate history of what women fought for and how long women had to fight and what that fight was about back in, you know, the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, and then throughout the, the 20th century. Um, and that's incredibly unfortunate and I think is a big part of why so many young women are uninspired to, to fight for women's rights today. Yeah, I think that that's perfectly put. It's if they don't know what was went through to get here, then how could they know? Which here, I mean, I see it very prominently in New York City, how much they're trying to erase history whether it's statues or, you know, monuments or whatever, what have you, they really are trying to erase big pieces of history. And it's, it's like, it's scary because not only are they trying to erase history, they're creating this new narrative about that's, and this is a whole nother thing that we don't even need to get into, but with like coinciding, coexisting with erasing history, they're creating a history that isn't accurate, if that makes sense. So for example, they want to take down the Christopher Columbus statue here in Columbus Circle, which, okay, whatever, like, if that's what you feel like you need to do, but yet they put up this massive George Floyd statue, and they're glorifying this slime ball, which obviously what happened shouldn't have happened. And I think that it was much more than I don't think it was a racial thing. According to 
you know, kind of digging deep, it was this guy had an actual issue with him because they knew each other and there was an actual issue. Fine. What he did, he took, he abused his power as a cop. Okay. It shouldn't have happened, but they glorified this man who literally was being under arrest because he was using counterfeit bills. The week before he held a gun to a pregnant lady's stomach, like has this huge rap sheet, like is just a slime ball. And now they have statues of his big old face all over. Like, why is that okay? It's disgusting. It's like satirical almost. And And no one's allowed to say that's not okay. Like no one's allowed to question it. Like this will probably be taken down if it gets caught because of that. I mean, you want to, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about fake news. Like they act like fake news is reserved for Trump and Trump supporters, but they're literally rewriting narratives and they're making, like you say, these men into heroes often who were abusers um, and certainly not heroes. And they're changing the narrative to make something about race and racism when it wasn't, you know, a lot of those incidents weren't about race at all. Um, and it's unhelpful to, to create false narratives like that. It's really harmful to create false narratives like that. You know, we now have all these feminists and progressive pushing to abolish and defund the police, which is incredibly dangerous and will be absolutely dangerous and harmful for women in marginalized communities and people of color and black communities. Well, I think that it just goes back to undereducated and they don't understand what defunding actually means. Uh, I had a few different women uh, police officers on here, one from the city and then one who is the wife of an officer. And we talked about it and basically the best and the easiest way to describe it for people that think that defunding is the answer, which it's not, is basically if there's an underprivileged school who's not performing well, you don't take funds from them, you give them more funds so that they can learn and do better and be better. And it's the exact same thing with the, the police. like. And I know from, you know, interviewing these women and also like training with guys and stuff who are cops here, there's such a small standard and it's like the last resort for so many people. It's not like this heroic position anymore. It's not something that people strive to do. It's the the thing that when they have no, they're either going to go to the military or they're going to become a cop. And that's what it is. There's such a little standard for they don't have hardly any requirements for shooting or target practice. They don't have any requirements for making sure that they know how to drive properly. If there's a car chase, they don't have any requirements to know how to defend themselves properly, to take jujitsu classes or judo or boxing or kickboxing or more Thai. zero requirements when it comes to self-defense, which is insane. So of course they're going to be scared and then fire off their gun and shoot someone like a dozen times because they don't even know what they're doing. They're so afraid because they haven't been target practicing because they're getting underpaid and they're afraid for their life. And that's what happens. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what is actually needed is more funding put into training and training programs so that they can be trained in de-escalation techniques. And like you say, learn self-defense, like jujitsu, like ways to defend yourself that would not involve shooting (laughs) or getting out guns and killing somebody and that you're not i mean the the thing about police shootings is that it's like in so many 
in so many places in America, people carry guns. Like, it's not really like that in Canada, so we don't really have a major problem with police shootings, but it's like, of course you're going to be freaked out if somebody pulls out a gun. Like, you don't want to die, so you shoot back. Like, of course you're going to be freaked out if you think somebody has a gun and might shoot you. Like, these are really high-stress situations, and a lot of these guys are under-trained. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how we got there, but yes. <laughs> uh, sorry, it's a bit loud. There's, there's some it's okay. construction here. I it's should okay. stop scheduling things in the daytime, but it's just <laughs> time-wise because, like, I sort of it's sort of unpredictable whether or not somebody's going to be sawing something or it's hammering okay. away at something. Or yeah, there's going to be totally okay. Do you have anything else you want to share? We can wrap up. Yeah, we can wrap up. Um, yeah, no, it was it was great to talk with you. I mean, I just. I think people people need to be more informed and more inspired to defend the rights that they have. People have become really complacent, especially in Canada. I think in the U.S. also, but not it's not as bad as Canada. You know, people in the U.S. are still wanting to stand up for their free speech and their rights um, and civil liberties in a way that Canadians aren't inspired to do, and it's been really frustrating and depressing watching Canadians just go along. Um, and accept legislation and policy changes and narratives that are really, you know, destroying the country and and will lead to a loss of all of the rights, all of our constitutional rights and freedoms that are most important to us. And I hope that people will get angry enough to stand up. I mean, people often, like, I'm not a super angry person. I am a pretty calm person. But I think part of that has also just been, like, you know, I've been doing this work for a really long time, so I'm I'm used to it. Like, I think a lot of people who come to these issues and are new to it are, like, enraged and are like, I'm going to lose my fucking mind, and we have to do something now. So, I mean, I do, I hope that people feel like that, and I hope that they organize and they find other people who are similarly scared or angry or, you know, who simply can recognize that this is dangerous and wrong and that they start to speak out and they start to take action. Um, there are more and more women organizing in Canada, which is good. Um, I wish that we had done it earlier on, but we can't go back in time. So uh, I just, I want people to, to understand how important this stuff is, how important our rights are, and that we have to keep fighting for them. Like, you win. But then you can't just sit back and relax. Like you need to, you need to pay attention, and you need to remember those fights, and you need to remember why it matters, and you, you do need to be on guard and make sure that that you protect those those rights because we we can lose them, unfortunately. Um, where can you be found? Um, so I'm on Instagram at Megan Emily Murphy, and I have a public Facebook page, Megan Murphy. Uh, my website's feministcurrent.com, the same drugs as my YouTube show um, slash other podcasts. So um, the same drugs on YouTube and then all podcasting apps. Um, I write for The Spectator sometimes and Unheard sometimes and Spike sometimes. And I think that's everything. Perfect timing. Sorry, there's more <laughs> It's okay. Okay, well, it was great to meet you. Thank I'm you. Really Stay healthy. <laughs> Yeah, I'll work on it. <laughs> See Thanks you. So much. Take care. Thank you, Megan. Bye. Bye.